1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. And it was originally inspired by the meaning of work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but a big thank you and shout out to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they're dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Thanks, com. Great partnership. Last week, we were on the, on the air with Dr. John Stoker of Dialogue Works, and he's the author of Overcoming Fake Talk, Creating Real Conversations that Build Relationships, Create Respect, and Get Results. We had a very dynamic conversation about how fake talk shows up in the workplace and how it manifests in terms of low engagement, poor performance, poor results, conflict, all this kind of all those kinds of things, and how leaders can help things get back on track by having real conversations. It was a great conversation. For this week's dialogue with me is john tarnoff who is a reinvention career coach and advocate for the boomer generation he offers coaching workshops and speaking And his book boomer reinvention how to create your dream career after 50 has just been released i'm so excited to talk with you today john and i know you're joining us today from los Angeles, california welcome to working on purpose
2: thanks elise it's great to be here
1: I want to say, of course, that I have had the pleasure of interviewing you before, last June, before your book came out. So, in some ways, this conversation is a continuation of that fantastic Mm -hmm. conversation. I have had several people actually comment to me about that show, John. So, um, you must be doing something right out there.
2: Yeah, I'm trying. I
1: think
2: it's an (laughs) important topic.
1: I think it is. In fact, let's just get into that, just to kind of kick it off here. Let's get right into it, shall we? Um, you know, I'm 52, so and I have reinvented myself a few times over the years, but from your vantage point and all you know, why is career reinvention so important today for boomers?
2: Well, because it's a necessity, uh, in a word. The, the landscape has really changed in jobs and employment over the last 10, 15, 20 years. The recession was a wake-up call for the boomer generation about the fact that We had undersaved for retirement. And in many cases, in the wake of the recession, people were underwater on their mortgages. They lost a third or a half or more of their retirement savings. And I think a lot of us, me included, looked around and thought, well, wait a minute. Uh, What are we going to do here as we get to this supposedly uh, watershed age of 65 or so, where we're supposed to be able to retire? And A, we're not going to be able to do it, we have to keep working, but wait a minute, people are firing us and downsizing us and telling us we need to retire early, and many of us have parents that we're caring for, many of us have kids that are slow to launch uh, and and still living at home. I mean, 30% of 20 to 30-year-olds are living at home today. So we're in a perfect storm, and the only solution for us is to keep working.
1: You know, you remind me, John, I think you and I talked about this before, but I, I remember very clearly the wake up call that I also got when I heard a futurist speak to me a couple years ago and she looked around the room of women where most of us were, I guess, um, early 50s, mid 50s and maybe late 50s. And she said, if you are in reasonably good health uh, as a woman today and you're in your 50s, there's a pretty good shot you're going to live close to 100. And I thought two things. One, great, more time to achieve the goals that I want to do in life. And then two, oh, boy, I better take better care of myself. And how am I going to make my money last? Exactly. Um, Exactly. Right. So making your money last from 65 to that.
2: Yeah. I read a survey today that something like uh, if you're in good health at 60, there's a 42% chance as a woman that you're going to live past 90.
1: 42%. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same kind of stat. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, in the last time we chatted, John, what I think I remember, you tell me if I've got this right. You talked about taking care of the parents and then, of course, slow to launch kids. That's the sandwich. Then that makes you the sandwich generation. Is that what right. you were saying before? Exactly. Yeah, that's
2: that's yeah. exactly right. That's so that, that. There is an estimate that I've read that up to 10 million people are in that situation right now.
1: Ten million. Wow. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay, and I so think that's here- going
2: to increase. I think as the as the the boomer bulge increases and more people are hitting this age of sixty, sixty five, because remember, demographically the boomers are going to continue to turn sixty five, ten thousand a day until december thirty first, twenty twenty nine. So this is a this is a wave that we are in the middle of.
1: Mm. That's a lot of people to help, John. You got a lot of work yeah. ahead of you.
2: <laughs> I know. I, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a. I hope it's a good job to have for the next uh, for the next uh, uh, twelve years.
1: I I think that you might have chosen well, and I know this this whole vantage point of yours, it comes from some personal experience too. I mean, you've been through this yourself, yeah.
2: Well, the reason that I got into this was because I realized I I kind of had something to offer from my own experience, which is that, um, as your listeners know from the last time I come out of the movie business, I was a film studio executive for many, many years and and took a detour into technology in the 90s. But then when my tech startup uh, washed out along with everything else in the tech bubble in 2001, I kind of hit a wall in my career and I decided that I was going to go back to school Uh, in psychology, because I'd always been interested in psychology, and I figured, I don't know if I'm going to become a psychologist or a coach or whatever, but at least I'll learn something about myself, and maybe I will develop some skills that I can use in the next job, make me more attractive um, and and a better worker, more insightful, whatever. And ironically, I got hired back into the entertainment business at DreamWorks Animation, but in a very, very different kind of a capacity. I was working on people initiatives, leadership initiatives, school initiatives training, and that became this pivot from from film production into uh, education, and uh, and here I am.
1: And you know, of course, I never tire of hearing those kinds of stories of, of reinvention, life stories, and really how you've navigated that. I remember the conversation from last time, so we won't go into too much more detail. Late like people can listen to the show from I think it was last June 29th. but. Really, so much to learn just from your journey, John, and how you handled that. So, I think that when I think about how you must work with the people that you do now, your ability to connect with them, because this is not coming from an academic vantage point. You've you've been through this process, right?
2: Right. Yeah, right. And that that is that is I I think the key. You know, someone said to me at one point, um, uh, "Does it get any easier if you get if you get if you keep getting fired over the course of your career?" And I I got fired from seven of the 18 jobs that I had as a, as a movie executive and a producer, uh, doesn't get any easier. And, and my answer is that it doesn't get any easier. It still hurts the same way. The sense of rejection is always there. It's not easy to overcome losing a job, but what I've figured out is that I, I know what to do. I know what my plan is when I get into that situation. And, um, and it is possible to recover from these kinds of setbacks and to turn them into successes and ultimately to see them as lessons in an overall narrative of your life and your career, which only makes you a better, stronger, more capable, more insightful, and ultimately more attractive worker.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I get all of that. And before we get to that point, I want, to, I want you to, if you will, paint the picture for us, John. Help, help us really understand some of the career challenges that you understand are very pertinent to the older workers specifically. What are they dealing with out there?
2: Well, uh, uh, let me frame this in terms of the mistakes that I see people making out there when they are trying to figure out their next stage, their next career stage. Um, and I think some of this comes from the fact that we are still dealing with job searches the way we dealt with them when we were younger and when the economy was different, the culture was different. We didn't have digital. Um, and it was a completely different world. So the, the three mistakes I think most people are making uh, are, and the first one is that you think your resume is going to get you a job when it won't. <laughs> right. And, right, the stats are alarming for those of us who grew up in the days of paper resumes and want ads in the paper Uh, The average recruiter, I believe, spent something like seven seconds looking over a resume. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Most of the resumes for large corporate jobs, I mean, so many of them are are received that to automate the process, and I'm sure many of your listeners know this, resumes are scanned electronically for keywords. And if those keywords are in the resume, then the resume goes to one pile. If they're not, they get tossed. Uh, So... That, plus the fact that 85% of jobs are filled through referrals of some sort, not through resume submissions, makes you realize that you need to be focusing elsewhere. And this leads to the second mistake, which is that you don't have a network. You don't have an active network of people to refer you to those potential jobs, which, by the way, you need to get in on. Really, before they're even posted. Because if 85% of jobs are filled through referral, it stands to reason that the methodology people use is to tap their network. They're only posting that job because they have to. They really have to cover that base. No one, I think, is really expecting that they're going to fill the job from a resume. It will be really unlikely. Now, you need your resume. You need your resume to be really solid because that is your calling card. That is the... That is the file, the piece of paper that people will use to spread you around in the company where you are interviewing so that people have a bit of a cheat sheet when you come in to meet. But don't believe that you're going to get in the door with that resume. You have to focus on your network.
1: I completely uh, concur with that, John. And I will tell you, I think you might remember, we talked about it last time, is that I do teach at Southern Methodist University, and I teach basically senior public relations students to get and keep their first job. And I tell them and tell them and hammer in, you've got to go network. And they're like, Oh, Dr. C, I don't want to go talk to people. I don't want to go right. networking. And they hate right. it. And, but we teach right. them how to do it. And invariably that is exactly how it happens. So completely right. with you on that. Yep.
2: Hey, and, and my, my tip to everyone on this, when I get that line and I get this, is you know, I, I come on a graduate program here in Los Angeles. Uh, so I'm working with on career development at two opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm working on career development for, kids in their mid-20s who are just getting out for their first job, and I'm working with people in their 50s and 60s who are setting up what is likely going to be their last job, and a lot of people have this phobia about networking, and the easiest way, I'm sure you, you talk about this a lot, the easiest way to get over that is to ask questions.
1: Yes, people that's what I tell them. them when
2: you ask a question, and people will be surprised <laughs> to find that all you have to do is say something like, so uh, why are you here tonight? Or how did you get here? Or uh, where did you get that? Uh, where did you get those shoes? Um, and things open up as magic.
1: Mm-hmm. I tell my students, just please go into every opportunity being curious and you're all set. Yeah. 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 yeah Curiosity
2: yeah. Is, is so important. And I, and I think this is, this is, uh, on the soft skill side of the of the mindset questions that that are very challenging for people who have been tossed around a bit and who are maybe out on the street looking for a job and i 'm working with a coaching client right now had a really com- interesting conversation about this in, in the last session about about curiosity because i I realized in what he was saying that he had lost his curiosity quotient and mm. That he was having a really hard time feeling good enough about where he was and what he was doing, he just didn't really care anymore, and he was he was he was just really overcome by this realization that uh, his attitude was was in, in terrible shape. I said you got, you gotta figure out how to how to get that curiosity potion back, and um, and. My methodology — and I talk about this in the book — is uh, very, I hope, expansive about the steps and the exercises that people can take to turn their mindset around, to turn their thinking thinking around, and reframe negative views that they have of themselves, of what they can do, of, of what their skill set might be, and how to recapture that sense of potential, of curiosity, of enthusiasm. Uh, and commitment to themselves as uh, people who can provide value in this economy.
1: Mm. Well, I totally get that as well, John. And I think the way you explained that was, I love the idea of the curiosity quotient, by the way. I might have to steal that if you don't mind terribly. I'll give you credit.
2: Uh, um, don't go <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, so one of the things you said there about helping helping the boomers to be able to reframe their mindsets. What else could you say? We've got a little bit of time before the the first break here. What else would you would you pass on to our listeners about what they can do to um, help compete and perform in today's job market?
2: Well, along the lines of reframing the mindset, one of the one of the things that I I want to make sure people really watch out for is is having a. Bad or a good attitude about their status, their experience, what they know. uh, We have to be able to collaborate. It's a much more collaborative, team-oriented work environment than it ever was. You know, in the old days, everyone would kind of get an assignment, they'd go off and they'd work on the assignment, they'd bring it back. Today, and software actually enables this in a very, uh, very key way. You need to be able to collaborate shoulder-to-shoulder, day after day, with teams of people. You need to be a part of that team. You need to know how the team works. You need to to be able to interact with people on your team. You need to be able to know the workflows, know the software. And you can't have an attitude about this. And this is not about, you know, this is happening at every level of an organization, uh, every level of a project. Uh, It's not just for, for kids kind of, you know, grinding through. This is for everybody. You need to be part of that team. You need to have an attitude where you're not this older person who's been there, done that and knows everything and is, is, is talking about how things used to work in my day. And, you know, why aren't you doing it this way? And, and, uh, well, that won't work. Um, you have to, you have to be humble. You have to be curious. Again, you have to be open, um, and you have to be willing to have fun, and you have to be willing to laugh at yourself, and you have to be willing to, um, to you know, learn new things in a really good way with a beginner's mind, as we would say in, in the Buddhist tradition.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you remind me, John, that whole thing about being humble um, and being able to ask for help for, is how I heard that is I remember when I first got my iPhone some years ago and I, I, I got off the plane in your neck of the woods and could not figure out how to make the darn thing work. And so what did I do? The very, I looked for the the, the youngest person in the crowd that I could find. I'm like, hey, you come here. I need your help. How do I make my phone work? And they're like, oh, you just do this. And it was working. Right. 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 Uh, <laughs> right.
2: And you know, it goes both ways. I think, I think perhaps some, some of us are, are concerned that, that uh, we make ourselves vulnerable and act clueless uh, and we kind of give up our power if we ask for help. And that is completely not true. Uh, anything that's going to build a bridge to someone else is going to come back to you multifold. And you'll have an opportunity if you ask for someone's help in figuring out a software program or a workflow or, or your, you know, how to do a screenshot on your iPhone or whatever it is, they're going to come back to you and say, look, I'm having this problem talking to the boss or uh, there's this guy in the other department who's always getting on my case. You're going to be able to solve problems, different problems that they have no reference point for and their peers can't help them with, but you can and it's not about being a parent to your coworker. It's about being a mentor. And there's mm-hmm. a big difference.
1: Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. We talked about this last time as well. And believe it or not, we're up for our first break already, John. It happened so fast. Wow! I'm your host. I know, right? I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with John Tarnoff, who is a reinvention career coach, speaker and author who helps his fellow baby boomers transition to meaningful and sustainable careers beyond traditional retirement. He is the author of the book, Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career After 50. We've been talking about his insights as to how the boomers are navigating their their career today. After the break, I want to get him to talk about his book. Stay with us. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is John Tarnoff, who is a reinvention career coach, speaker, and author who helps his fellow baby boomers transition to meaningful and sustainable careers beyond traditional retirement. Himself fired 39% of the time over his 35-year career as a Los Angeles based film producer studio executive and tech entrepreneur he reinvented himself at age 50 going back to school to earn a counseling master's in spiritual psychology he joins us today from los angeles california i'm your host elise cortez all right john so at the beginning the first segment we talked a lot about tapping that brain of yours of what you know about what's happening for the boomers and how to put themselves back into the market in a meaningful way i've waited long enough i want to get into your book Okay. So first, right? Okay. So first, let me say congratulations. It's no small feat to actually pull off writing a book, getting it published and getting it into the marketplace. So congratulations.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It was, uh, it was, it was a learning process. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> I'll just bet. Well, um, so the name of the book, Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career After 50. We've been talking a good bit about your background. I have a pretty good idea, but really ultimately, why did you write the book and what do you hope readers get out of it?
0: Well,
2: I I wrote the book because, frankly, I can't afford to retire, uh, and I need to keep working. And this is my new career. This is my second act: is working as a career coach for boomers in this situation. And uh, I I love working with people. It really is motivated, animated the the career focus for this rest of my life, so I I hope to be doing this uh, as long as I can keep two words together in my brain. Um, And uh, it just seemed like a very topical question that really fired me up. So that really uh, motivated the book. And in talking with people and blogging about this topic on the Huffington Post starting in 2014, I, I began to come in contact with a lot of people. I started working with clients. I began to see that a lot of these um, issues were things that needed to be kind of codified, and I needed to do it for me, I needed to do it for my clients, and, and so here's the book.
1: Well, and one of the things that I've certainly noticed, John, is you have been a little bit of a celebrity in your own right here, because I know that you've been asked to appear on, on other, other radio programs besides mine and TV.
2: Right. So how, right.
1: what's that been like for you?
2: Well, it, it's been great. I, I mean, I, I think again, it's it's. Um, it, I, I'm I'm enjoying it. it it's great. I, I I really appreciate the interest in the in the topic and 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 I, the way I see it, I'm I'm being given an opportunity here to be something of a spokesperson. I think to express something that a lot of people are are going through, are curious about, are in many cases, backed up against the wall about as their, as their situations are deteriorating, their careers are deteriorating, or they're having to kind of recover from, from career setbacks. I mean, the day that I was on CBS this morning, I got a message from a woman through my website, kind of a call for help, and she had been fired from her job. First time, she's 54 years old, I guess. First time she'd ever been fired from a job and was completely devastated and at a loss and I, I understand this I mean this is this is a very, very crazy thing to happen. Uh, another woman that I was on a uh, radio show uh, with uh, last week in San Francisco was talking about how she is fifty eight years old. she has had uh, no problem in her career. Changing, uh, changing jobs, that she was always able to, to pivot. Um, not that she had that many jobs, but my sense was that, that she, she never had a problem using her credentials. She was senior executive working at a VP, SVP level until now. And she has been out of work, and she can't find a job. And, mm. and I said to her, well, it's ageism. You know, I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. There's a tremendous um, resistance to hiring older workers. And part of what I hope to be able to do through the book and with everyone's cooperation is to share the value that older workers provide, the value of keeping them in the economy, the intergenerational value of of having generations work together. Um, You know, there's, there's there's a big upside in our economy to having people working and to having people continue to work and to not put a burden on the social safety net. And we could spend, you know, hours talking about that.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's I,
2: what's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. And I, I really applaud that, John, you know, I'm a fan, which is why I asked you to come back on the show. I think the work you're doing is really important. And w- when I noticed that you were getting such notoriety out there, I know you don't think of yourself as a celebrity, but I do. Um, I, what I what came to me, how it landed for me is that there just really is a strong need for this. And yeah, I think is. that's the reason why people are, I think that's probably part of the reason that people yeah. are asking you to come on their shows because it's such an important topic to discuss. And I love the fact that you also have that heart to serve and to try to educate and and frankly change people's mindsets, but both sides of the coin, right? The employer and the employee side.
2: Right. I mean, you know, it's. I'll go out on a little bit of a limb. There's something that I've been thinking about and looking at studies and position papers and what people are saying on the policy side. And I, one of the things that I worry about in this conversation about how to deal with surviving as we age past 50, past 60, as we, as we get older is I, I think, and this may be a harsh word to apply, but I think there's a ghettoization that's going on in the way we look at older people, older people from a career perspective as well as from a, from a care perspective. And I think it's really important that we not necessarily limit this to, di- to dialogue and discussion about what can we do for aging people. Um, we, 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 don't, we don't need to continue to, to uh, kind of corral us into this, this label of being aging or elderly or senior, and what can we do to either help us take care of ourselves or what can we do to help us uh, mentor and reach out to younger generations, as if we need to create separate programs for that. I want us to be integrated into an age-blind culture and economy where it's, who's the best person who can provide the solution for the problem? And how can we get people together who have a shared interest, not so much a demographic, but a psychographic around a particular topic or market or brand, for that matter, and share regardless of what our age is? And it's, a, it's an extension of all of the kind of multi-gender, multicultural advances and progressive work that's been done over the last 20 years. We need to include age in that mix as well.
1: I like it, John. I'm in. You got me. I'm, your, I'm, I'm a convert if Start I, if I wasn't before. I heard it, you
2: heard it first. <laughs>
1: um, well, well, let's talk about. I know a lot of the meat of your book here, John. At least as I've read it so far, is really your. It centers on your five reinvention steps that you oh, de- detail right. in your book. Will you say a little bit about that? And then, of course, I really sure. would love to hear about some of the stories, some of the people that actually went through this process. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So quickly, the five steps are are uh, 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 kind of a mind a mindset reset and. Uh, they proceed from two fundamental ideas. The first idea is that the job that you want really is inside you already. It's not about going out and applying to a job. Again, we talked about the resume before the, 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 the end of the resume. Uh, it, it, the job is not out there, believe me. The job is inside you. The value that you provide the the thing that you want to do, or the things that you want to do, that are gonna that are going to motivate you to get up and get out and be motivated and be successful in the work that you're going to do for the next 20, 30 years of your life. It's all inside you. It really is a product of all of the work that you've been doing for the last 25, 35, 40 years. Uh, the second step is to listen. The listening step. It is about doing your research. You, you would not start a new project without doing research. Well, the same is true for your reinvention. And I advocate that people go and they sit down with people who they trust and they value, whether it's family, friends, current colleagues, ex-colleagues. And I, I love the idea of going, getting ex-bosses involved in the process to help tell you what it is that's great about you, what your challenges are, what you've screwed up on, uh, what you need to work on. It's the kind of creative and constructive feedback that you get in the best performance reviews um, and these are things that you may have a hard time hearing about yourself but these are the things that you need to know if you're going to have a successful second act and then the third and perhaps the most challenging step is the accept step. This is the idea that we all have baggage. We bring that baggage we lug that baggage around with us into job interviews and investor meetings and, and it, it prevents us in many cases from actually envisioning those things that we could do because there's the part of us that goes, oh, well, I tried that once and I got shot down, so I'm not going to try it again. You need to resolve these, these old issues if you're, going to, um, if you're going to be able to start fresh. You need to forgive the people who did you wrong. You need to forgive yourself for the things that you think you did against other people because you were younger and stupider, and now you've learned. Now you're a different person. So so be that new person. And that goes into the fourth step, which is the express step, which is where you get to workshop this new uh, career that you find inside yourself, uh, whatever that may be, wherever that's going to apply, and you use, um, uh, uh, mind maps and vision boards and uh, journals and um, uh, a bunch of other uh, devices and, and techniques which I advocate in the book and I think one of the most important things to remember about this is that whatever it is that you want to do, you want to make sure that it is useful, that it is really a way of connecting out to other people because at this age we tend to want to get meaning and purpose out of our careers in a way that we didn't when we were younger so you've got to Make it useful. You've got to find meaning and purpose in it. Um, it's got to really resonate with who you are deeply. And then the fifth and final step is the connect step. It's how you're going to make this this uh, this idea a reality. And it's about, as we talked about at the beginning, it's about the network. It's about nurturing that network and finding people and their techniques in the book about this, um, finding people who can be helpful to you uh, at every step of the way. But also it's about you being helpful to them. I say you don't want to lead with your need. You want to always be giving. You want to take this as a, as a service project and then you're going to receive from the overflow of that, of that attitude of service. So those are the five steps.
1: Okay, I can get completely behind all of those. They all make complete sense to me. And one of the things that I thought about as you were talking, and we can talk about this later or you can do a short comment because I still want to have you get in the book. But as you talk about the idea of meaning, right? Pursuing meaningful work as we get a little bit older. What I think is challenging about that, and this is what I got to believe is what you help your clients with is really how to monetize something that is meaningful to you. How do you actually monetize that?
2: Right. Well, I think, again, you monetize it through your network. At the end of the day, the value that you provide and that you present to your network, uh, the value proposition that you're going out there with is what's going to turn you into a into a magnet a value magnet. You need to find the people who have use for what you are proposing and let them come to you
1: uh, that's you uh, that sounds so crisp and probably a whole lot. Um, um, harder than, it's, than the way you just ca- came out of your mouth. <laughs> it,
2: right? It, it really isn't. I, don't, I really don't think it is. I think if you, if you, I mean, there's a certain amount of scale that you need to apply to this in terms of the number of people that you're talking to. But if you are going out and finding people who really resonate with your, with your point of view and what you're about, and what you want to do, um, they, will, they will, it's a multiplier effect. They will be able to channel those potential monetization sources, those clients, those employers, uh, those investor sources, back to you to fulfill your vision.
1: Mm. Yeah, the key is opening your mouth and getting out there as we talked before about right. the networking. Asking questions. Yeah. Um, well, we have just a couple minutes before the break here. You mentioned something before, John. Let me, maybe this is a way to capture this now before we go back into direction stories. Something about 23 strategies. What are you talking yeah. about for 23 so strategies? Within
2: the five steps, I have laid out 23 strategies. It's kind of a smorgasbord of things that you can actually do to reinvent yourself. I I love – there are a lot of books out there about reinvention and about people who have reinvented themselves, and I've got seven examples of people who have overcome significant personal professional challenges to reinvent themselves in the book. But there's a lot of material out there, and what I wanted to do was paint the picture of how you could actually do it and to present a toolkit – uh, my, my friend Ken Burns was very kind enough to give me a, a, a great blurb for the book. He talks about this as a toolkit. Uh, and, and that's really what I, what I hope to achieve here and hope to offer to people who are looking for practical guidelines, things they can actually do today to help them set up this reinvention process.
1: Well, I have a copy of the book, so I, and I, I, I think there's a lot of nuggets in there, John, and I know how much effort you put into creating that, so I, I certainly appreciate that perspective. And here we are, up for our next break already. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with John Tarnoff, who is a reinvention career coach, speaker, and author who helps his fellow baby boomers tra- transition to meaningful and sustainable careers beyond traditional retirement. He is the author of the book, Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career After 50. After the break, we're going to get into some of those actual stories you mentioned before. Stay with us.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise A L I S E at elisecortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is John Tarnoff, who is a reinvention career coach, speaker, and author who helps his fellow baby boomers transition to meaningful and sustainable careers beyond traditional retirement. He is the author of the newly released book, Boomer Reinvention How to Create Your Dream Career Over 50. And for this segment here, John, I want to really get into that. I know, that, I know you've got seven stories in there that, that, you have, that you have isolated to be able to really be the most useful nuggets here. And I'd like to hear about at least a couple of those stories, if you can share them with us.
2: Absolutely. This has been really really unexpectedly great part of writing the book, is to connect with and, and meet these seven people who come from very different parts of the country, different walks of life, they all have different stories. Um, each of them overcame some significant challenges to reinvent their careers. And um, uh, they each in different ways had to engage with some of the the five steps that I talk about in the book. So part of my work with them was to try to confirm whether or not this five-step methodology had any validity, and I was very pleased that, that all of them, one way or another, were able to line up their stories with, uh, with what I've been talking about in the book. So just to kind of uh, you know, pick one uh, who, who kind of pops off uh, at, at the top of the list is a guy named John Pagliano, who um, was an industrial um, salesman uh, for many, many years in the chemical industry, uh, had a working class upbringing in Pennsylvania, uh, and decided he wasn't going to go off to college in the, in the early 70s. He wanted to see the world, join the Navy, uh, became a, um, uh, you know, just kind of a grunt in the Navy, but decided that he, I mean, he kind of found himself in the Navy. He kind of found his, his passion, which was for science, and he went back to school, and he started reading and learning, and um, this translated into a very successful career in sales, Uh, but he never felt like he was one of those corporate guys, and when he was a kid, he was fascinated by the stock market. He used to read the, the financial pages. He didn't understand the financial pages, but he loved looking at the numbers and the symbols and he knew there was something in there that he wanted to learn later in his life. And and because he was not a corporate guy, he never really put a lot of faith in the corporate world and in the financial um, uh, rewards of, of corporate life. So he started saving and he started investing on his own account. And when, when the discount brokerages started up in the early 90s, he got himself a Schwab account on the phone and he started training because he knew that he wanted to build up a nest egg, because someday he knew he was not going to be, he was not going to be working. And this is a guy, prolific, you know, Italian kid from Pennsylvania, he's got got six kids of his own, got a big family life, Um, and uh, as we got into the 2000s, um, he was starting to brush the ceiling of his industry and, and his career, and having... Increasingly difficult uh, uh, times uh, fitting into his, uh, the company where he worked. Um, he had a great boss who was kind of his, his, his mentor and his protector who let him kind of do the way, do work the way he wanted to do it. But when the recession hit, and this is true for a lot of people that I talk about in the book, the recession really set him back. And he knew that the company he was working for was going to probably not survive. He knew his job was not going to survive. And he tried to figure out, what is it that I'm going to do beyond this? Because I can see the axe coming. And his wife said to him, look, you've been very successful at trading on your own account. Why don't you become a financial... hate the financial services industry. I'm never going to be able to you know, work in that field. I, I don't want to work shoulder to shoulder with these people. Yada, yada, yada. He had all these... But i will spare you the details that's exactly what he's doing today he realized that he didn't have to do it the way he thought he would have to do it he doesn't he works for himself he developed he, you know, he went out he got his own certification uh in a, in a particular way so that he could uh he could uh, buy and sell on clients behalf and he's working with exactly the kinds of clients that he wants to work with people who are kind of like him he, he read this book called "The Millionaire Next Door" many years ago, which is about you know working class people who save and who don't live a ostentatious life, but have accumulated all of this wealth you know for the benefit of their families. It's how he lives, this is the way his clients live, and he has done extremely well. He's been doing it for like maybe two or three years now, and he's kind of fallen into podcasting, believe it or not, because he read a. Uh, uh, an opinion, a financial opinion in one of the financial papers that he disagreed with. He was looking for someone to contradict this person's point of view. There was no one out there saying a different thing. So he used to be in radio. He had some, some radio chops. He recorded a podcast just because he wanted to say something about this this article. And he's now, I think, one of the top ten rated financial advisors on iTunes. He's got, you know, over a hundred episodes. So, you know, here's an example of a completely different career for someone who turned it around, followed his his dream, uh, and found a usefulness for Tesla.
1: So one of the things that I heard in that story, John, and I love the story, by the way, I love any kind of story of, of reinvention and, and, and overcoming, of course, It just speaks to the human spirit, I think. But what I also really heard in there was uh, like organic awakening, right? He'd always had the idea that he understood something that was pulling him and calling him to the stock market and the symbols and numbers, etc., Um, And I think that what I've seen, and I would love for you to speak to this, is that I think if we pay attention to these kinds of things in ourselves, that there really are some tremendous clues that maybe we've been hiding from for quite some time in our lives.
2: Absolutely. And this goes back to the idea of the careers inside you, that he he really never thought of it this way. He never really thought of it as a career. And his wife pointed out to me, she said, you know, you've been doing this because apparently a few years earlier, one of his colleagues went to him and said, look, I want to give you power of attorney so you can trade my, my IRA portfolio. And he had been doing that and making her money. And the wife said to him, you, you know how to do this. You, you actually have a client. He, and he said, well, she's not a client, she's a friend. So he had to reframe a lot of the about himself and, and thought about his potential in order to be able to accept that this was his path.
1: Mm, I love that. And that his wife is so supportive. I love that. That's so helpful. Well, that goes Um,
2: to the listening point. That goes to this idea of, of listen to people around you because they have really, really valuable things to say.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure and give our listeners as much as we can here. So we, we have time for maybe one more story. If you keep it somewhat, somewhat short, what you did there was great.
2: So I'll tell you about a woman named Judy Contreras, who was an HR executive for many, many years. Um, uh, a very kind of can-do kind of person uh, who found herself getting tossed around as a HR exec working for different companies into the 2000s, and then in the wake of the recession seeing a lot of bad behavior. And the companies that she was working with were doing bad things and kind of using HR as a, as a way of essentially screwing their employees. And... She got to the end of her rope with this one company, and she basically said, look, I'm not going to participate in this kind of way that you're cheating people out of their medical uh, uh, benefits, and they fired her. And she thought, I'm not going back to this field, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I I think I should have my own business. Well, maybe I I should buy a franchise. So she started investigating the idea that she should take her retirement savings or a portion of her retirement savings and invest in a franchise business. So she got a broker and she started looking and then she realized that she needed some more help. So she went to the small business, uh, um, uh, bureau and, uh, they provide counseling, uh, and they, uh, serve as a, um, uh, uh, kind of a clearing house for a lot of career advice for people who are small business owners or who want to be small business owners. So she got a lot of support. But what she realized was that she didn't actually want to buy a franchise and be in a brick and mortar business. She actually wanted the franchise broker's job. And that was the big wake up call for her. She realized that that fit her image of what the working lifestyle was a lot better than turning lights on in the morning and turning the lights off at night in some brick-and-mortar store. And so she pivoted in the midst of this, worked out the numbers with her business coach, and that's what she's doing today. She bought into a uh, a business where she's representing franchises and selling those franchise opportunities to people who, in fact, do want to uh, be in those kinds of businesses.
1: Wow, she sounds like she's thriving. What I hear in that is just great energy. That's what I hear.
2: She has great energy. I will tell you, it's been a challenge. You know, the first year, she, she was very smart to work with a business coach because the business coach said, what do you think, make a projection for the first year. What do you think the projection is? And she projected a certain number of sales. And the coach said, cut that in half. Can you live on what you're going to make if you only make half of what you think you're going to make? And so she had to make some decisions about her lifestyle. So anyway, I'm not sure how much. Anyway, so this woman, Judy Contreras, uh, started out wanting to be a franchise owner, realized she would much rather be a franchise business broker, um, and uh, set her expectations reasonably low so that she wasn't surprised and didn't have the rug pulled out from under her in her first year. Uh, which was smart because she didn't hit all her targets. she did kind of hit in the middle, low range of what she expected, but then uh, learned a lot, second year was a lot better, third year is doing well, and uh, um, you know it really helps to to uh, question the choices that you're making at every turn in the reinvention process. don't go with that first impulse that oh you know i always wanted to open a restaurant or i want to go back and and get the law degree that i had to interrupt to raise a family you got to make sure that is really what you want to do because you've changed in the last 20 30 years
1: for sure um and i appreciate how real you kept that too john thanks for that that's just so important for our listeners and here we are already at the end of the show john i want to give you just if you can just maybe one minute final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners
2: the final thought really is that you you can't sit on the sidelines if you're if you're over 50 and you are not thinking about what you're going to do when you're over 60 uh or over 70 for that matter then you need to get busy because this is a unless you're independently wealthy unless you've you've socked everything away and you're Counting down to the retirement, and you've got a plan, whatever that's going to be, uh, you need to think about this. Yeah. There is a great career out there for you.
1: Mm. Great way to finish, John. I'm so glad to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining me again.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Always great. If you want to learn more about John Tarnoff and his new book, please visit his website. It's boomerreinvention.com. I think that you'll find there's, that you've got all kinds of interesting things on there in terms of tips and, and tools as well. So I um, appreciate the conversation, John. As always, subject matter expert in career reinvention and also the baby boomer generation. Quite interesting. Next week, we'll be on the air with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley, and we'll be talking about how to reduce stress and anxiety in our work lives using empathy and cognitive behavioral therapy. See you next week. Remember that work is one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working On Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.